0: Oh
1: Happy you're here with us today. We just want to welcome you here this morning. Christmas is coming. Christmas is here. How about that? Right? If you haven't done your shopping yet, better get out there. Hey, um, so just wanted to welcome you this morning. Christmas Eve, there is still room to register. So if you are planning on coming on, on Christmas Eve, please go on our website and register for that. Uh, there's uh, three services, four, 530, and seven. We would love to have you here. And with that, please continue to worship with us. Thank you. Sing this with me.
0: Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. Grace, honor, the mercy, mild God and sinners reconciled. Joyful, all we nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the new. Time, behold him, come offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, thou goddess, sea, the incarnate deity. Pleases men with men to dwell. Jesus, or in you. sing
1: Jesus, we praise you today, Lord. We sing of your goodness. We sing of your faithfulness. Lord, help us to remember, to really remember you in this time of the year, in this season that we're in, Father. As we come together this morning, we have set aside the things outside these four walls. We put aside the the distractions that this life tries to throw at us. Help us to set our hearts and our minds completely on you today, Jesus, to focus on you being the light of our world, to remember that that you were the perfect gift to us. King Jesus, that you were sent to this earth to save us, to rescue us. So today, Lord, we lift you up. We magnify your name. We exalt your name on high. Would you meet us today, wherever we're at, whatever we're going through? Would you speak to us and open up our hearts and our minds to what you have for us today, Lord? We praise you and we worship you and we love you. It's in Jesus' matchless name that we pray all these things and everyone said together, praise God. You guys can have a seat.
2: Good morning. We are Jim and Mary Adams, and this morning we light the candle of love.
3: First Peter, one, three through nine. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled,
2: and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, the in, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him.
3: Philippians 4, four through nine. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you.
2: Revelation 21, six and seven, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the springs of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Together, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Heavenly Father, we are moved to worship by your deep love for us this morning. Thank you for these reminders of your love through your word. Thank you for the redemption we have in Jesus because he came as part of your perfect plan to redeem us by his blood, providing forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Oh, what great love. Help us to love others this Advent season even as you have loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.
3: Please take 30 seconds to wave or text your greeting as Gary comes up to speak with us.
4: Welcome once again to our final Sunday of Advent. Merry Christmas to you all. Really excited for this morning. And uh, my name is Gary. I'm the lead pastor here at GBC. I'm excited to welcome you, give you those season greetings. And we want to begin actually this morning with a special greeting from our friends in Lacoste, Haiti. So check check this out.
5: (laughs)
0: This is joy.
5: <speaking in Spanish> That's the time when children <speaking in> chant <Spanish>
0: and adults are singing and celebrating
5: the birth of Jesus Christ.
0: Bonsoir,
4: Good evening, Pastor Nzi. This uh, today we are happy. Sweet day.
0: today we are happy. day
2: for us to wish you Merry Christmas.
4: Great. Good You know, it's, um, it's been a great morning already, hasn't it? Uh, the worship set this morning, so appreciate the band. It's so good to hear from Jim and Mary reading scripture, these Advent readings every week, and then to get this Christmas greeting uh, from our friends down in Haiti is really uh, just precious. And uh, so I want to begin this morning uh, with a question. As my heart really this morning is that we, even on Christmas Sunday, that we not play church, and that we not miss what God has for us and what he wants to share uh, with you this morning, particularly if you're tuning in and you have yet to follow Christ. We want to present the gospel clearly. We want you to hear what Jesus has for you to hear. And so I want to begin with a question for you, and it's this. Do you really believe that God has your best in mind? Do you believe that God has your best in mind, despite what your circumstances may be? I'm not talking health and wealth gospel or prosperity gospel here, that do you believe God wants you to be rich and never get sick? No, talking about that despite whatever the circumstances of your life and mine may or may not be, do we believe, do you believe, that God has your best in mind? Uh, My friend uh, Brian Mowry from Walnut Hill Uh, community church, wrote a book recently. And in it, he describes an interaction uh, with his daughters that he had at a place called Fun Spot in Laconia, New Hampshire. Any of you ever been to Fun Spot? Not too many. A couple, maybe, and I can't see those of you at home. But if you've never been to Fun Spot, Fun Spot is three stories of arcade games. And one story is Uh, filled with our antique arcade games which means they're arcade games from when I was a kid and uh, matter of fact they were the current ones when the place opened no joke Um, but you can go there you can play arcade games all day and uh, he was there with his daughters and they were playing skee-ball and getting you know the tickets and you go to the ticket the prize counter and you cash in your tickets and you can get prizes and he said you know because they were little and they you know didn't put a ton of money into it they didn't have many tickets and so they were kind of relegated to the bottom shelf in the glass case You know, it's in the bottom shelf. It's like the little cheap, cheesy plastic toys and finger puppets, like the ones you would get in like the 25 cent machine. And, um, you know, trying to decide what to spend, you know, your tickets on. And he said, there's a gentleman who's observing him with his daughters and and came over him and to use King James language, bequeathed unto him like 20,000 tickets and just gave them to him. Uh, to the delight of his daughters. But he still had to help them understand that they could now sort of raise their eye level. They could look at the top shelf and they could even look beyond the shelves to the wall behind the counter where the big stuffed animals and the more elaborate prizes were. And he makes the point, he says, you know, for many of us in our relationship with God, our expectations are stuck on the bottom shelf. They're stuck in the bottom shelf. And God oftentimes through his word wants to raise our eye level to see the goodness of his desires for us. So this morning is a top shelf sermon. It's a top shelf sermon. Now, not necessarily describing the quality of the sermon. I'll let you be the judge of that. But the heart of what the Lord wants to say to us through his word is that his blessing and his desire for us is that we would be adopted as his very sons and daughters. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look at God's word. Pray with me. Lord God, we uh, come before you this morning excited, humbled. Lord, we hear those words of scripture. We sing the songs of these, in some cases, ancient carols. And we're brought to a place, Lord, where we are ready to hear from you. Would you speak to us clearly through your word this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we are in this series. This is the final morning of our series, Just Right, from Galatians 4, 4 through 5. And uh, the series begins with this, uh, or sort of wrapped around this idea that God sent his son. That is the central theme of the entire passage. God sent his son. That's each week. And so the first week we looked at was the beginning of the verse that begins when the time had come to completion, God sent his son. And our associate pastor, Zach, that morning helped us to understand that God's timing was the right time. It was just right. God's timing relative to the history of the time. If you were a person in Judea at the time that Jesus came as a baby, you were likely to think it was not the right time. Right, The people of of God, the the Hebrews, were under the rule, the thumb of Rome. They were occupied. Uh, They were restricted in a lot of what they could do in terms of their traditions. And while there was a great longing and messianic expectation for delivery, at the same time, uh, they were probably in a mindset that now is less than idyllic. But yet from God's point of view in terms of his sovereignty as Zach shared with us not only was at the time of the Pax Romana the peace of Rome and a new Roman road system and also the lingua franca the language that united the, the whole known world at the time and all of those things perfectly set up the spread and distribution orally of the gospel after Jesus died was buried rose again and returned to the Father's right hand in heaven and as the apostles went out Again, in God's sovereignty, it was the perfect time for Jesus to come. But Zach also helped us to understand that in the context of Galatians chapter four, Paul's actually talking about the time coming to completion in reference to the law, that the law had served its purpose in leading us to Christ, leading us to the Messiah. And so it was indeed the right time. It was as as it were, as if history was pregnant for the coming of Christ. So that brings us to week two as Dave Humiston, one of our lay preachers here at GBC talked to us about the right way in which Christ came to us, that Jesus comes, uh, God sends his son uh, born of a woman, an infant. Isaiah chapter seven says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call his name Emmanuel. We sung those words this morning, God or that word, God with us. God with us he comes in the right way again not the way that perhaps the people of the time or even you or I would choose but Jesus comes as a baby and coming as an infant he leaves us really just two responses one to ignore reject walk away and the other is simply to worship there's no discourse that can take place with Jesus at this time he's an infant he's dependent on, on his mom and his dad and others in his community and he comes and the response is simply worship by the shepherds and others. He comes in the right way. That brought us to last week. And our missions pastor, Andy, Andy Bonner, talked to us about the right reason that Jesus comes. Jesus comes in, in, in our scripture. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. That's you and me this morning. To redeem those under the law. And Andy talked about how Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. He perfectly lived out the law and through his shed blood on the cross, he redeemed us from the law, provided us ultimate deliverance. So if you don't know Jesus as your savior this morning, the appeal of Galatians 4 is that God sent his son in the right timing, the right way, and for the right reason, that you might know him in a personal way and be a, become a part of his family become his son or his daughter that is God's ultimate plan that's what brings us this morning to the right result remember our question do you believe that God desires your best this morning as we look at the right result that God desires and intends the answer to our question is going to be yes so God's plan was done just right Now there's an application for those of us that are walking with Jesus today and it's, it's this, do I trust even now in my Christian life that God has the right timing? Do I trust his timing when I just lost my job this year? Do I trust that God has the right timing in that relationship that I thought was going this direction and it's over? Do I trust God's timing? Do I trust his way that God has the right way? Do I trust God's way as I live my life, living according to his way when it comes to his plan for marriage? Do I trust God's way and what God's word says when it comes to how I relate to my boss or my supervisor who maybe I don't agree with or even like? Hope nobody on our staff echoes that thought this morning. (laughs) Do I trust his way in terms of how I respond to the governing authorities, no matter who I voted for. Romans chapter 13, you can check that out later if you're not familiar with it. Do I trust, ultimately do I trust his reasons for what he does? Maybe this has been a year of tremendous trial for you personally. Do you trust God's reason for bringing even trial and tribulation into your life? And and give you a little bit of hint of where we're going next week. The ultimate reason, that God does what he does in bringing the blessings and the trials in and out of my life and bringing joys and despair in not only our lives individually but in human history is for his glory. The ultimate reason that he does what he does is for the honor of his own name and his own glory, not for my glory, not for my comfort, which is something that really zeroes in on those of us living in the West, I've heard a lot this year wrestled a lot this year personally with the idea of what my preferences are my comfort the reason that God does what he does is for his ultimate glory God sent his son in the right timing the right way for the right reason. And he did it so that we would receive adoption as sons. And before we get into this really exciting idea of biblical adoption, what does it mean to be adopted into God's family? I want to take a moment and overlap a little bit with what Andy talked about last week in this idea to redeem those under the law. And I actually want to reach back to our series in Ruth. If you were here as we walked our way through Ruth this fall, you may remember the series was entitled Covenant and the coming of Christ and so Ruth very much set us up anticipated the series we're in now anticipated this Advent series and so first last week Andy helped us to understand that redemption or to be redeemed means to be bought back to be purchased back Uh, sort of a, a less than adequate illustration is and I don't know if anybody does this anymore But you know, growing up, I used to go to the store with my dad with the boxes and bags of soda cans, right? You stick them in the machine, it makes that cool sound when it crushes them, and you get a nickel back. Well, you're, you already paid that nickel. That, that, that is redemption, it's being bought back. Again, it's an imperfect illustration from a biblical standpoint, some of you have probably never done that. You're going like, really? You can get a nickel back? It's also a band, by the way. It's okay, you can laugh. But redemption in the Bible is built off and we began with the redemption laws of the Old Testament when we talked about Ruth. There are three of them in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. There's the redemption of property and the redemption of personhood, someone who is bound in indentured servitude or slavery. We read about those in Leviticus chapter 25. And then there's the redemption of progeny or the family line through the Levirate marriage law that we saw in Deuteronomy 25. That third law was sort of the, the main topic of the book of Ruth. This morning, we're kind of zeroed in on this redemption of person. Why? Because the New Testament teaches us, particularly in places like Romans 6 and Titus 2, that we have been redeemed or bought back from our slavery and our bondage to sin. Something that began all the way back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and we inherit this sinful flesh and we need redemption now before we talk about what Christ has done in redeeming us we have to wrestle a little bit with this word sin and Dave hinted at it a couple of weeks ago but sin in our culture has sort of been put on the shelf right we'll use words like mistake or or struggle or things like that and that's not entirely inappropriate but it comes up short and I love what Paul Tripp says in his devotional new morning mercies he says this He says, we tend to think of sin as the breaking of a set of abstract rules, but sin is much more than that. Sin is the breaking of a relationship that results in breaking God's rules. Sin is personal and relational, even if you're not conscious of it in the moment that you are sinning. Sin questions God's goodness, wisdom, faithfulness, and love. It challenges God's personal rule. Sin says, I know better than God. Sin is, and I will insert here, always personal. As an aside, when David repents for his sin of adultery and murder, he says in Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned. Now, David is not dismissing or denying his the hurt and the pain that he's caused in the people in his life, but he's acknowledging that ultimately the relationship that he's broken is with the Lord himself. Sin is always personal. And so Tripp ends his quote by saying, this is why Jesus suffered and died in your place, in my place, that we would receive forgiving grace. So Paul in Galatians talks about the fact that we are redeemed from under the law. We're forgiven. Now in the New Testament, Paul writes several letters. If you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, most of the New Testament is the four gospels of of the narrative of of Jesus and what he came and did. And then the largest chunk of the rest of it are the letters of Paul. And Paul writes to many churches that are, are just sort of in their early stages of growth and development. Churches often that he planted. And the letter we're looking at this morning is the letter to Galatians. It's written to churches in, in a region called Galatia. And in this letter, he's addressing what we just read. We've been redeemed from under the law, but he does it with the utmost brevity. Very, very brief. Romans chapter 8 is a companion or parallel passage where Paul talks about the same topic, but he's writing now to the Christians gathered in Rome. And he elaborates or very much expounds on what he's talking about in Galatians 4. Listen to what he says. And this is in Romans uh, 8 chapter, uh, and this was part of our Advent reading this morning. So we're gonna read that again. Verse 1 of chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. I love that line. He, that is God, condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. In order that the law's requirements would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And so what Paul is saying here is he's saying, for those of us who have trusted in Christ, there is now no condemnation. What Jesus came and he did, he came as a baby. He lived a perfectly sinless life. He went to the cross, died the death that I deserve to die, rose from the dead, conquering the grave and went, ascended to heaven where he intercedes and advocates for you and me. But what Paul says, what the exchange that took place is that because what we could not accomplish in our sinful humanity, God did. And he did so by sending Jesus, and he uses the term as an offering, something that brings to mind the Old Testament sacrifices, the offerings of the blood of animals that were to temporarily cover sins. Jesus is sent as an offering that once for all, Hebrews tells us, eradicates sin. And so there's an exchange. The biblical word is propitiation. It's a substituting atonement. Him for me, innocent for the guilty. And Paul says the law is satisfied. He expounds on what he said in Galatians. Now, furthermore, Paul uses the term law in Romans differently than how how he uses the term law in Galatians because of the brevity. In Romans, Paul uses the term law at some points in terms of God's overall uh, 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 controlling, governing power, the law of God, if, if you will. At other times, he uses the law to refer to the Old Testament in its entirety, generally about the Old Testament. But then he also talks about the law in terms of the Mosaic law, the Pentateuch, the law to God's people. And here in, cha- in verse two of chapter eight, he uses the term law in terms of a principle, a law of God, namely the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death. What is the law of sin and death. Well, if we look at the rest of scripture, we can just jump back to Romans chapter three, verse 10, verse 23, but it's rooted even in places like Psalm 14. What is the law of sin and death? It says, the soul that sins, it shall die. The soul that sins, it shall die. That is the law of sin and death. Again, beginning it with the historical uh, people of Adam and Eve who rebelled against God and were punished by him with, with death death entered the world. And when the scripture says the soul that sins, it shall die. It's talking not just about physical death that entered the world at that time, but spiritual death or what the scripture calls the second death, eternal separation from God for all eternity or what the Bible calls hell. So here we are in Christmas morning with the lights and the carols talking about hell. Why? because you will never, and I will never, be able to receive and worship this child. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, until we understand what we have been saved from, until we understand our rebellion, our sin, and what the cost is. Paul says, there is now no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you have trusted Christ this morning, there is no condemnation. It does not matter what you've done or what you do. But the truth is that the opposite reality is also accurate. There is now only condemnation for those who are apart from Jesus Christ. And aren't we so grateful that God did indeed send his son, Jesus. The Bible is really clear and it is exclusive. That is the gospel. There's one way God sent his son, but God sent his son. And now we get sort of the, the real exciting part of our passage and, and, and God sent his son that we might receive adoption as sons and Paul in what he does not say, which is just as powerful as what he does say. And we've been talking about redemption laws and servitude and slavery to sin and all this stuff. And Paul does not say this. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that they might be uh, freed slaves. That they might be, that you might be servants of God now. Now he does talk about that in Romans 6. But here he says, no, he doesn't talk about servanthood. He says that you might receive adoption as sons. Why does he do that? You may remember from Andy's ma- message last week, he talked about the Galatian Christians were uh, kind of being beaten down by these people called the Judaizers. These were Jewish Christians who had come in, infiltrated the Gentile church and said, hey, it's great that you've received Jesus, but you need to receive Jesus and perform the acts of the law, including circumcision and all this other stuff. And so Paul's saying, no, it's Jesus plus nothing, plus nothing, plus nothing. Adoption as sons. And so Paul tells this to the Galatians and to you and me this morning as an encouragement about God's lavish, abundant grace. And The Bible does say that we are servants of God. The Bible also said Jesus in John 15, that we are friends of God, but we are also sons and daughters. We are all of those, all of those things. So I wonder this morning, do you see yourself as a son or daughter or as a servant? Do you see yourself as a son or daughter or a servant? It brings us to this idea of adoption. Paul says adoption as sons. And if you keep reading in Galatians, the next two verses, he says as this. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of son, his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. Or in Ephesians 1, where Paul says, he that is God predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself. For himself, according to what? According to the good pleasure of his will. Remember our opening question? Does God, do you believe God desires your best? Here the scripture tells us that God has adopted us into his family by trusting Jesus for his, his own self because of the good pleasure of his of his will. Back to Romans real quick. I told you it's a parallel, uh, companion passage to Galatians 4. Listen to how similar this sounds to what we just read in Galatians 4. Paul says in verse 15 of Romans 8, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. This is not a fear-based relationship. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Again, lavish grace, not just children, but children who are heirs. And we need to look a little bit about this Roman idea of adoption. But before we do that, you know, I don't know what your familiarity with the idea of adoption is. Maybe it's something that's very close to home in your family But just kind of putting us all on the same level here, I want us to hear from someone who knows intimately what it means to be adopted. So please check out Ian's story.
6: Hello, my name is Ian McMenamin. I'm 30 years old and I'm from Southern New Jersey and I was adopted. I was adopted into a great family. My father was a graphic arts designer and a worship pastor and my mom was a nurse. Uh, We grew up in the church. We grew up with great family values. Uh, and, and we're always felt like we were loved, even though we were adopted. These situations, there was obviously situations that happened in my life that made me wonder why I was adopted and all these negative things that could come to my head about being rejected by my mom or reject my birth mother or, or being rejected by the situation or, or just being a cast out. And I, I remember like as a kid asking my mom, like, hey, why was I adopted? Why? Why was I the person that was sent out in that way and my mom chose to give me away? And my mom would tell me it's because God chose me for her. And that that was written in the beginning of time and that before I was born and even before my mom was born, the Lord knew that I would be hers and that she would be mine. And that for me, it took a while to understand. But once I grasped it, it became such a much deeper concept for me. It. it, it Rolled into like how God chose me for me and it made it so much more loving and accepting and and more of an honor to be adopted than it was to be a burden. Um, There is a worship leader that I grew up listening to as a kid that uh, his favorite line was breaking off rejection with the spirit of adoption and he would just sing this over and over again and it was almost something like almost like a nursery rhyme and it was it was as a concept was super elementary but really deep and it stuck with me until this day and to know that in the midst of my what i thought was rejection that it was actually acceptance and adoption and intentionality in my life um and i think that's what god wants for all of us in this he wants us to feel that acceptance as his as his son or daughter as an heir to to what he has for us in his our lives and the blessings he wants to give us um you know i think of the scripture that my father would say over me every night and it was John Jeremiah 29 11 for I know the plans I have for you says the Lord plans to prosper you not to harm you he plans to give you a hope in a future and I feel like I have a future now and I feel like I have the hope because I'm part of the family I'm part of that 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 group of people and, and that and that relationship with the Lord is so profound that it's forever changed me and that's what matters at the end and that's what and that's what adoption means to me.
4: Isn't that cool? Yeah, you can clap. <clears throat> so grateful for uh, Ian telling his, his story. And you know, I was, I was here uh, on a day where Ian and his wife Brittany uh, did a little gender reveal party, and they ended up having a little boy, Jagger, who's super cute. And uh, on, on that afternoon, after the gender reveal thing, his dad was tuned in on... Um, I guess it was on Facebook live, but it ended up posting to Ian's wall. So what I think was intended to be very private, like the whole world saw. And it was powerful because his father, his adoptive dad was just absolutely in tears that Ian was having a son. And he just kept saying over and over again, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. And you could see in Ian's face what that meant. This is the kind of intimacy that God has toward us in this idea that we are adopted into his family. In fact, in the text, we see both the idea in both Romans 8 and Galatians 4 of inheritance and intimacy, legality and love. On the inheritance side, uh, in the Greek, what's translated as adoption as sons as a phrase is one word, huiathosia. It's a compound word from the word uh, uh, which means son and which means to put or establish and these two words together it literally can be rendered, rendered to put as a son but of course for the readability it's translated to a, uh, adoption as a son but what's, uh, what's noted in the language and in the context is for the purpose of inheritance. And so we could read it this way, to, to, that we are adopted as sons, and, and it's, by the way, it's a, it's a feminine noun, so it could be, uh, it's more like, you know, sons and daughters, to be established as a son and daughter for the purpose of inheritance. That's what Paul is saying. He says it both in Romans uh, and in, in uh, Galatians, where we read here. And it's, but it's not just the legal side of this. I want, I want us to hear a little bit about, um, and this comes from a, an author named Carol Ashby. Carol Ashby writes historical fiction that's set in the time of Rome, first century Rome. And uh, very much with the purpose of evangelism. But interestingly enough, as, as a writer, as an author of historical fiction, she does a voracious amount of research, historical research, on what she's writing about. And interestingly, she, her background, her PhD is in chemistry, which some of you will probably relate to in the room or, or online, but it tells you the kind of mind that she has. And she says this about adoption when it comes to the idea of inheritance. She says, the motivation to adopt was very different in Roman times than, it was, than today. While contemporary adoption is aimed at placing a child in a loving family, as in the instance of, that we saw of Ian this morning, Roman adoption aimed at providing a suitable male heir to become the new paterfamilias when the family patriarch died. If a man had no sons, adoption was a common solution to that problem among the nobility. In fact, this was not a one-off thing that happened once in a while. It was so common, and I learned this in my research, that both Augustus Caesar, And his son, Tiberius Caesar, who were uh, emperors around the time of Christ, were both adopted. They were not by birth in their lineage emperors. They were adopted. And so a poor family where they had a lot of sons would at times give their sons up in adoption to a family of nobility uh, because it would provide a better path for that child and provide a paterfamilias for that family. Likewise, a family of noble birth that didn't have sons had the ability to continue their family line. So fascinating, and you can tell, we can kind of geek out on that if if we had more time, but I digress. There's a legal inheritance component to our adoption in Christ. We're not just adopted in some sentimental way. There is an inheritance coming that Paul and Peter both say will far exceed whatever you are going through right now, even in 2020. But there's an intimacy or love side of this too, because Paul uses the Hebrew word here. He says, we receive the spirit of sonship, the spirit of Jesus, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. Yes, I know most of us in Sunday school learned it as Abba, but it's actually Abba. And I remember when Bob McCoy was preaching on uh, one of these two texts, and he talked about being in the airport at JFK and and witnessing several Orthodox Jewish families with little kids kind of chasing after the parents and the little kids, little boys and girls shouting through the airport, Abba, Abba. And how it gave Bob this sort of different lens, different perspective on the intimacy of what we can kind of read past here in the text just to drive that home a little bit further this past week i was talking to my friend chris uh, chris pastors a large church in in white river junction area of vermont you see a couple pictures of him here, One is of his executive team, and you'll probably recognize some of you, one of the members of his executive team, uh, when they visited here at Groton Bible Chapel, is our former executive pastor, Frank Vitale, my former, former boss. But uh, uh, Chris also has a beautiful family, as you can see there, and, and um, both of his boys are adopted from Eastern Europe. And uh, we were on the phone this week talking about a variety of things, and I said, hey, I said, while well, I've got you on the phone, preaching about adoption this weekend, just give me some thoughts about your perspective as an adoptive dad and from your boys now that they're getting older and so forth. And he said, similar to what Ian said, he said, in our home, what's different than, say, like a a natural birth type family is the idea of choice is very prominent. He said, we told our boys very young that they were adopted and we made it clear that we chose them. He said, now that they're getting older, they're starting to echo and and, and develop an identity around that idea. He said, the other day we were praying as a family and my son prayed, Jesus, thank you that I was chosen to be a part of this family. Do you know that you have been chosen to be a part of the family of God through what Jesus has done for you on the cross, that he desires relationship with us. God sent his son, that you might trust in his plan and so become his son or daughter, a part of his family. This morning, I want to ask you, are you a part of his family? Are you a part of his family? Now you might say, well, I have community. I have family. I heard somebody this week say my bowling league is kind of like my family. My community or or my work team is my community or my extended family is my family, is my community. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. God has designed us for relationship and for family. And all of that echoes and illustrates our ultimate family in the family of God, our eternal family. But we only gain access to that family through Jesus Christ. And so we need to make sure that we are part of the right family. Reminds me of a story. And as I uh, tell this story, I'm going to invite the band to come out this morning and lead us in a final song. And the the idea that we're ending with as we consider what Paul has said here is that we are not slaves. We are no longer bound by the law. We are redeemed. We are set free, but we're children of God. You this morning are a child of God as you trust in Jesus. Final story. Uh, I've told this one before, true confession. I'm telling it again because it's just so dang funny. Um, And I'll probably recycle it again at some point, Uh, several years ago, uh, we were invited to a Christmas party. Now I have to tell you that uh, I love Christmas time and I love snow. One of the things that my predecessor, Bob McCoy and I had very, very much in common is our love for snow. If you live in New England by choice and you hate snow, that's on you. Okay, figure it out. We don't want you to leave, but you got to get some counseling or do something about that. But I love snow, I love Christmas, I love all of it. I get really, really excited. And um, so several years we're in, years ago, we we're invited as a family to this Christmas party and we get all gussied up for Christmas. We're pumped, it's nighttime, it's like the lights, the whole thing. And so we drive to Mystic where our friend lives and, uh, and we get out of the car, we go up the driveway, up the walk and I do one of those sort of like knock and enter kind of things. You know what I'm talking about? Where you kind of go like knock, knock, knock and you sort of come through the door at the same time. And so my family's with me, all six of us, and we sort of pile through the door and into the entryway and I turn left and the dining room's not set up quite right. And now there's a big meal around the table and there's actually 10 or 12 people gathered in smiling faces, celebrating a Christmas dinner together, all smiling. There's one big problem. I don't recognize any of their faces. And they don't recognize me. And so I look at my kids and they look at me. And then what I assume is the patriarch of the family kind of stands up and he says these words. Can I help you? (laughs) And I said, I think I'm in the wrong house. He's like, you want to stay? Like, and ultimately we were one, we were one door off. One of my finer moments. You know, there, there was a family, they were celebrating. It was good. It was good to be in their home briefly, but it was the wrong family. We can be a part of community here in this life, but I have to ask you again, are you part of God's family? And that only comes through trusting what Jesus has done for you. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, born to redeem those who are under the law, that's you and me, that we might receive adoption and be a child of God. Stand and sing this final song with us this morning.
0: From my mother's womb, you have chosen me, and love has called my name. I've been born again into your family. Your blood flows through my veins, because I'm no longer a slave to fear Cause I am a child of God Cause I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God Sing that again Cause I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God, cause I'm no longer a to fear, I am a child of God. Father
6: Thank you for uh, joining us, church family. What a great morning. we got a wonderful week coming. We invite you to join us for Christmas Eve, 4 o'clock, 530 and 7. We still have some space if you want to register for in person or join us online. We will have candles for people who come for uh, an activity we'll be doing, but if you're watching from home, we encourage you to have a candle prepped for Christmas Eve, and we're looking forward to that. If you're new with us, stop by our Welcome Center on the way out, and uh, we look forward to connecting with you, or click I'm New on our website. But with that, church, have a wonderful day and week, and we'll see you Christmas
5: Eve.